did. Do it in front of clapping. Do it in front of the mic okay. though. One, two, oh, like 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 Mick Jagger. Jesus Christ. One, two, three. Oh, right. why is that second behind? Why am I a second behind? Yeah. Because I've got Mick Jagger's timing. Let's do it again. <laughs> is it on three or after three? After three. One, oh. two, three. <laughs> It'll be fine anyway. Welcome to Bud and Griff's Gaming Creep Show, a podcast where we talk about real-life paranormal stuff, horror and gaming, and try to have a laugh along the way. Now, before we go into podcast zero, Griff, I think I need to explain why we've called it that in a bit. But I'd like to thank Hugh Bowen for writing the theme tune, singing the theme tune that you just heard. It's called, quite appropriately, Creep Show. Oh, and I also need to thank uh, Aaron Miller for playing the hurdy-gurdy somewhere in there. So yeah, there is that. So before we go any further, I've got a little quick fire questionnaire. Just oh, your first answer that you can give me as quick as you can, okay? Just so I can okay. get a so I can get a kind of a, a kind of a, a measure of where you are, okay? So one or the other. Don't don't question it. Just say one or the other, okay? So first one: ghosts or cryptids? Ghosts. Forty k or fantasy? Forty k. Elves or dwarves? Dwarves. No socks or no shoes. No socks. No hands or no legs. Oh, God. No hands. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I won't, be able to, I won't be able to get to the shops. You can have a wheelchair. <laughs> which you can operate with your hands. <laughs> well, no, well uh, I, I, I quite like my legs. I'm told it's my best feature. How would you type on a computer with your nose? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not answering that one. Fair enough, fair I'm enough, not- fair enough. So we've called it, decided to go with Podcast Zero as our first one in the spirit of the whole um, Session Zero thing. Basically, what we're going to do here is kind of um, say why we're doing this and what people should hopefully expect over the next few months. So but essentially, me, me, and, me and Griff have a, a um, an interest in ghosts and cryptids and the like. I think I think it'd be fair to say, Griff, you're more of a believer, aren't you? Yeah, I think I, I wouldn't say believer isn't quite the right word. I'm more of an experiencer. Oh, okay. So, the, so so it's not really with me. It's not really about belief or not. I know what I've experienced. Okay, but then you can't prove that to anyone though. Generally, can you? Uh, um, no, but the, 
there have been situations I've been in where there's been more than me witness it. Because, I mean, obviously, as you know, um, the whole crew with the Manchester Arms one night witnessed something happen on your end, didn't it? Um, I should probably explain that. As we, we were sitting there chatting, and behind Griff, there was an almighty crash. And he whipped his head around and said, the doors just swung open. Which, which kind of freaked some people out a bit. <laughs> um, I would say I'm more of a an, ev- an evidence person. I think, I think, for example, things like UFOs, I think there's there's every possibility there could be something out there. I definitely think that there are different species of animals that we've not yet discovered. And I think out of them, maybe something like Bigfoot, probably the more likely, given the huge amounts of forests in the world that have remained unexplored. Uh, I think things like Knockress Monster is tourist traps. Uh, But I think most of all, the thing I probably believe in the most is... I'm not even going to say ghosts because people think of people in white sheets with eye holes, aren't they? I'm thinking about um, the idea that something lingers on. There's something about the environment. There's something scientific we can't really put our finger on as yet. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think that's where I'm more where I come from for the from the whole ghost thing. Like I've had an experience which we will we will give you we will give everyone a taster because one of the things about this show is that if we have anyone as a guest, they've got to give us a story because me and Griff both collect ghost stories in our heads. We do. We do. So, um, so that's where I come from as far as, you know, if you can kind of prove it, I've not, I've not, I've not seen many things that have gone, well, that's absolute proof. Not, not even once. I've seen things which have come close to like, you know, explain that, but never like, right, that's it for me. You know, if aliens were to, to to beam down on the planet right now, people would say it's CGI. Mm. Yes, yeah, absolutely, I, absolutely. I I would say, um, from my own point of view, I think I'm quite lucky that I think I've seen the big three. That I have, I've I've seen a UFO. I'm going to say it. Uh, don't know what it was. I've I've seen quite a few things that I would say are paranormal. Um, Poltergeist, ghost type stuff, and I also believe that I've seen a cryptid. So, well, we'll get into them over the next few few uh, episodes, shall we? Um, with regard to having people on, um, we've got a few people lined up. H- here's where we stand on this, and me and Griff have discussed this. We're gonna we're gonna have people on if if they are in the realm of of um, horror gaming. You know, I don't want someone to come on and just shill the latest Savage World product because it's got nothing to do with horror in gaming. And we're going to have mates on because it's our podcast and we'll do what we want. Your mates, because I've I've got none. <laughs> well, well, that's not entirely true. But anyway, so to, in this, as I say, in the spirit of in the spirit of um, of being of going first, we, should we tell our particular stories of the paranormal things that happened to us? And you can go yeah. first because I feel I've t- I've talked a lot. Okay, so um, January the seventeenth, nineteen eighty-one. I, I specifically know the date that it occurred because it was the date of Michael Parkinson interviewing Muhammad Ali on the Parkinson show, and I'd been and watched it at my auntie's house in Cannock, scary Cannock. And um, 
absolutely normal family sort of get together. Came back, went to bed. So I'm guessing it would be about midnight. I'd be coming up to my 11th birthday. And the setup in the bedroom at my mom's house, which is quite a fr- was quite a frightening place when I was a kid. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Not just me, the family witnessed stuff as well. And we've swapped stories and discussed experiences there. Um, the setup in the bedroom was I had the single bed closest to the window. My brother, Alan, had the far bed, the bed furthest away from the window. My brother, Lee, who's the baby at the time, had the middle bed. And okay. I, was li- I was lying there, midnight. There's a street light outside uh, my mom's house, like a lamp. So it always used to be quite bright with like sort of thin, thinnish sort of 1980s curtains. <laughs> and, and out the corner of my eye, I noticed there was sort of a shape starting to appear above my brother Lee's bed, the one in the middle. And I looked... And as I watched, a figure started to appear. And it was like there was a lady sitting down in a chair, that sort of pose, but about five feet above him. And she didn't all appear all at once. She sort of faded in almost from the bottom upwards. So I could see that there was a dress. And I could see that, you know, she had... Uh, her arms folded as if they were sitting on the um, rest of an armchair. And her face wasn't quite there, which I always thought when I was, you know, you, you've, you're brought up to believe the ghosts, you know, they're fully formed figures, but this was only sort of nine-tenths of an old lady. And I, I remember distinctly when I looked, I could actually see the bones of her jaw. But, and not the top of her head. And on her hands, I could see the skin of her fingers. And I was absolutely terrified. I mean, properly, royally, I mean, almost panicky. And I watched the shape for about 30, 40 seconds. Couldn't take my eyes off it. And it was mm-hmm. still there. And it was sort of changing slightly different bits and becoming more sort of uh, opaque and, and visible. And then I looked over and I noticed my brother was looking up at the same thing, Alan. Lee was completely asleep while while all this happened. Alan was looking up at it. And and I could see the fear in his face as well. He'd be about, I'd be 10, he'd be about eight. He, He was absolutely terrified. And then just sort of vanished. I can't even say it faded out. You know, when it appeared, it sort of seemed to fade in, but then it just vanished completely. And did you, did you speak about it with your brother the next day? No. Well, not the next day. I tried to speak to him when we were a little bit older about it, uh, on the way back from a pub one night, and he told me in no uncertain terms that he didn't want to talk about it. Oh, okay. So he definitely remembers it? He remembers it, yeah, yeah. I don't think he'd admit to what he'd seen or, or discuss it. Um, and I've talked to my mom recently. And she remembers that some point later, you know, a couple of years later, I mentioned it to her. So she, re- she remembers me relaying the story to her. And you're absolutely sure you didn't have magic mushrooms and beans on toast that night for tea? Well, I, don't, I don't know if it's that common in Canuck. It might be the sort of thing they <laughs> eat there. But... 
But yeah, okay. it was, um, that that was that was the. F- I mean, I'd seen I've seen stuff before then um, that didn't frighten me. That was just unexplained and mostly frightened the adults. I told, and I saw stuff after that absolutely terrified me. But there was nothing as scary as seeing that. That was that was the one where I mean I was ten years old. You know, not exactly a child, not exactly sort of a teenager. But I knew then that this sort of stuff was real. See, I would have run out that room screaming personally, but that's just the, the inbuilt cowardice in me. <laughs> I don't, I don't, to be honest, I'd have been more scared knocking on my dad's bedroom door after he'd had a few pints with his brothers and sisters <laughs> and saying, Dad, there's an old lady in the bedroom. She's just floating there. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was terrifying. And that, that entire house... I mean, I've spoken to my family recently, and yeah, it's it's quite a fright. It was quite a frightening house, and the stuff still goes on there that the family pick up on today. Okay, well that's that's a, that's a good one. I know you've got plenty more, like plenty more, like things that have just happened in your own home. I'm keep on looking. I mean, we're on Zoom here. I'm just keep on looking at the door behind, expecting something to happen. But, By the uh, way, there's no there's nobody in the house. So if you do see anything, don't tell me. There's, there's, nobody. <laughs> there's, just, there's just me and the, the, the cats in their pajamas. So you, if you see anything, tell me after. All I'll do is I'll go white and point with a quivering lip behind you. <laughs> okay, so here's his, my experience. I don't remember the exact year, but it was it was in a Jan it was in January, and that'll become important. And at that time, it was it was after my mum and dad had got divorced. I used to go down and and uh, babysit my brothers while my mum used to, you know, start a life again and go out with her friends and things like that. So I used to I used to go to my mum's, uh, look after my brothers, and then do me homework. I was in college, and then walk home. And it was about half an hour walk, but it was I was at that brave slash stupid age, you know, when you're about nineteen or eighteen, where you feel invincible. And that particular night, my mum my came home um, and I said, right, I'll go. And so I, I left the house. And I remember it was like January. It might have been December or January, but I remember it was icy outside. So I used to have a, I put my Walkman on, remember those. And I used to put it on really low so that if, I, if anyone was going to jump me, I'd hear them coming. And I remember what I was listening to. I was listening to Clutching of Straws by Marillion at the time. So it will have after been post-1987, definitely. So I'm, I'm walking home, I walk walk towards where I was living. I used, to, I used to live right next to Liverpool's ground. And there used to be this big, long avenue called Pinehurst Avenue. And it, it, was a, it was a shortcut, but it wasn't like a shortcut as such. It was just a direct route. You could go round or you could go up Pinehurst Avenue. And it's an, if you ever go to Google Maps and Google it, it's it's quite an unusually broad avenue. So down the middle, you've got a big central reservation and the trees are dotted opposite each other. They're not staggered. They're all like in like goalposts all the way down. And they were all big trees. So mm-hmm. I used to walk home and I used to walk down the middle of the, the central reservation with the idea that, if anyone jumped me, I could see them coming from any direction. So again, I've got my music on low and I'm walking along and I hear the crunching of my feet and the ice, you know, the icy grass. And I'm looking ahead and about, say, four or five trees ahead of me, a figure stepped out from the trees. And now, do you know The Undertaker, the wrestler, a big seven-foot-tall guy, all in black? 
It was a figure stepped out and walked from one tree to the next, but not like, never glanced at me, was side on. Walk from one tree to the next and then vanish behind the tree. So I stopped dead. I thought that's someone waiting to jump me there. So I was, at this point, my eyes were like wide open. You you get like slightly, slightly kind of watery eyes when you're a bit scared. So I left the centre of reservation and kind of walked around, keeping this tree in my view. And when I got round the side, there was nobody there. Now, the tree itself, I, my next thought was they must have climbed up the tree, but then I remembered it was it was winter. There was no leaves on the trees. It was it was bare. So I looked up on the tree and there was nobody there. So I obviously I tried to run home, slipping and sliding everywhere. And I never used to take that that shortcut anymore. And a couple of years later someone knew said, Oh, do you know why Pinehurst Avenue was was built the way it was? And I was, I said, no. I said, they were actually the reason it's such a broad avenue is they were they were, they were going to build houses on there, but apparently in at some point in the past, people used to get hanged. There. Criminals were hanged on Pinehurst, Pinehurst Avenue, um, and so they just never built houses on top of it. So yeah, that's wow. that that's the one. That's my kind of go-to that I tell people. I've I've got stories that friends have told me, deadly serious people who don't believe in ghosts who've told me their, their own experiences. Uh, but that that's that's kind of mine from memory, the one I always share about the figure that walked from one tree to the next and never came out the other side. So so do you, do, do you remember what he was dressed in, the, the, the fella? It was all in black from head to toe. I don't remember whether there was a hat or anything like that, but they were, they were tall, as I say, like the Undertaker, the wrestler, tall in yeah. black. But, but the funny thing is, side on. Like they never looked at me. Hmm. It's like they were crossing the road, but I never saw them come from the left-hand side. No, they just stepped out from behind the tree, walked to the next tree, and then vanished. Yeah, because I mean, I, I know the area well. So it's a lovely city. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, that you lived here, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time in Liverpool. But I, I, and I, I used to go to Anfield a lot mm-hmm. and to, to see the footy. From what I remember, it's quite a built-up area. So, so is that bit itself still quite built up? It hasn't changed since the day, day this happened, Pinehurst Avenue. It's 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 surrounded by its houses on either side of the road, and there's a school. The bit I'm talking about is if you there's a bridge you go onto. Do you know Breck Road? Yes. There's a bridge you go under to get to Breck Road to get from Norris Green to Breck Road. It, it was, as you go under this bridge, you turn right, and that's Pinehurst Avenue. But if you to go on Google Maps, you'll see it's a, it's a really big, broad avenue, and mm. almost, almost you could say a waste of space in a city like Liverpool, where space can be at a premium sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean that that's terrifying. I, I, I'd actually, I think, rather see a mugger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a mugger might have. Uh, and walked away disappointed. I was skint. I was a skint see, student that's what, at the time. See, that's why I kept my legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how would you hit them back? Would you would you kick them? I wouldn't. I wouldn't hit a mugger back, but I'd run. I'd run. I'm a, I'm like a racehorse. Oh yeah. I, I don't know about I don't know about on ice, but you know Would'd I you could like go skating. I could go, I could go <laughs> skating down the street as quick as I could. But that that is quite terrifying. I think. Um, and and there there is something about that place. I mean. Like you said, I, I swap stories, and it's it's always good pub talk, ghost stories, because oh yeah, either people either people after a few pints loosen up and they'll tell you what's happened to them, or 
if people start talking like that, especially in front of like a fire, you know, a nice cold fire, they, they tell you stuff other people that they know have heard. And of all the places I've ever lived, and I've lived in some, some, some places, Liverpool seems to be the place in Britain where people have most of these stories. Do you think they just make it up for a free pint, though? <laughs> Possibly. Because, oh, I mean, so I know that, I would. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there's something, there's something about the place. Something about the place yeah. that's a bit different. So, so anyway, um, anyone we have on, if they need to either give us a ghost story or talk about something weird that's happened to them uh, while, we, while we roundly take the mick out of them, because that's the whole point. It's the whole point to have a laugh with this, isn't it? So yeah, so as explained, this is this is uh, this is podcast zero. I think probably the first guest we'll have will probably be Alex Gillot. Mm. Um, you may know him as the guy who co-wrote Viral with me, um, and he has many best-selling scenarios on Miskatonic Repository. But yeah, Alex, Alex said he'd love to come on and chat with us. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much he believes in it all though. Is that is that Ghost or Cthulhu? It it could very well be either with Alex. You never know. Um, <laughs> is and, is Cthulhu real? I, I don't. I've, ne- I've never quite worked it out. Let's just let's just say we hope not. <laughs> Although to be honest, I mean, if Cthulhu appeared right now, it'd be all I'd just throw it on the pile of bad things in the world, wouldn't it? If he, if he stepped out beyond that tree, just following that that bloke with 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 the <laughs> with the black clothes on, just follow. <laughs> I don't, yeah. So let, let's talk a bit about about a uh, horror gaming. Um, did you back the last uh, Delta Green Kickstarter? I didn't. I, I I had I had a good reason not to. I was desperate too, but I was getting divorced again. I love I love the use of the word again there. <laughs> oh well, better luck. Third time lucky, and uh, do we get like a, with with three marriages to get like a, a like stamps like that? Uh, yeah, I get a medal, I think. No, they get a medal. Well, yeah, I think they probably deserve the medal, wouldn't they? <laughs> they do. You are a bit of a Scarlet Pimpinello, aren't you? Like, there'll be sometimes I'll get in touch with you and it'll be like two weeks before you get back. And then and then when you get back, you'll go, oh, yeah, I've you know I've not slept for five days. I'm like, yeah. and at this point, I've got to the stage with you and go, okay. And then just move past it because there's no point even engaging <laughs> engaging you on it. I just know already that you're probably not lying and you probably haven't slept for five days. No, yeah, that's fair. That that's a fair thing. Also, <laughs> also, I I am the Scarlet Pimpernel. You I mean, definitely I do, are. I, I do go over to Revolutionary France and rescue nobles that, well, that are due for the guillotine. <laughs> is this playing flashing blades, or is this all in your head, or is it real? I mean, I wouldn't know with you. <laughs> Well, um, after five days sleep, I don't know. I don't know the difference either, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the reason I'm asking about the Delta Green Kickstarter is that the first, the first drop is is about to land, and um, I opted for the because it's it's eighteen bucks in total. That was amazing. That that entire Kickstarter was. I, I mean, I, I I couldn't back it, but it was a delight to watch. I know people who did. And it was like I half was a million amazed. dollars it, it, it raised as well. And I think it looks like it looks like Arc Dream are slowly but surely pulling all the little threads of scenarios that they own and bringing it under the Delta Green. Like yes. like Convergence is in um, Unspeakable Oath number seven, and that was the first mention of Delta Green. That was John Scott Tynes. 
But there's, there's also things like um, Grace Under Pressure, which was originally a Call of Cthulhu scenario, where mm. you, you're a sub, you, you're pilots and a group of scientists that are piloting a submarine. And when you go to the bottom of the ocean, you're only outskirts of really A. And it's a, you know, it's 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 a good scenario, and they're bringing that in. Although I'm not quite sure how they would tie it to Delta Green. I think it'd be one of those ones where, at the end, Delta Green approach you, you know, like to to recruit you. Yes. But yeah, the, the first the first drop is about to uh, is about to happen, and it's um it's it's the remake of the original book. Mm. With with it, the style's been updated to reflect the style in the current in the current lineup. And uh, Dennis the Twiller's reading all the art for it, so that should look he's, glorious. He's uh, he's multi talented. I mean, he's, he's a one talented of the best. git, isn't he? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, he's uh, obviously his writing goes without saying. But then when you see him posting, oh, and I did this art as well, and you're thinking that shouldn't be allowed. No, no, you yeah. shouldn't be able. To, you shouldn't be able to be that good at two things. I'm only, I'm only good at one thing, and that's staying awake. <laughs> <laughs> and running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as long as it's icy and I can skate and I don't fair, fall fair over. Enough. But yeah, he's, it's a, the first drop is going to be that. It's going to be Convergence, which has just also been released on PDF. And I'm not sure if it's this drop, but there's the King in Yellow tarot deck. Ooh. Which is a bit late for me, considering I've finished the King, I've finished the Impossible Landscapes. And I don't know whether it's in this drop or not, but one of the things was the the yellow sign pin, you know, pin badge. Oh, like a badge for your rucksack. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know whether that's when that the, this drop or not, but I'm hoping it's their yellow sign. I would imagine it will be. You know, the one they designed for Impossible Landscapes. Yes. So I'm hoping it's that and not Chaosium's one. I, I get the feeling Chaosium's one's probably licensed to them. So yeah, have you bought any anything anything recently, or have you been good? Uh, no, I've, I've bought I've bought some role playing stuff. What have you bought? Um, I bought. Uh, um, I, I don't. You you pronounced real yay. That that's is that how you pronounce it? Real really yay. I'm really yay. Really. Why do you say Riley? Riley, whatever's easiest. <laughs> Riley, my so, name's Cthulhu. I live in Riley. <laughs> see, see, that, that's that's good. That's good. I like that. Um, so uh, I'm glad you tried to pronounce it first. Now I'm going to try and pronounce this game for the first time ever. Right, so spell it. Spell it first. Okay, then spell it. P L A N E G E A. Plangia. That's it, Plangia, which is a um, prehistoric setting for fifth edition D and D, and it's and it's absolutely fantastic. I've I've had it for sort of a day, and I've read half of it, and I'm just blown away by just how original it is. And it's got all the elements that I love in a game. It's got swords, sorcery, weirdness, primordial monsters, and it's it, it really is very weird. Because it's at the um, it's at the sort of the, the start of the D and D universe where there's no history. You are the history, and oh, the planes okay. haven't, and, and the planes haven't separated yet. So it's got a bit of that Rune Quest, you know, God's Time type feel, and I, I think it's actually something really special. And again, I was getting divorced during the Kickstarter, so I didn't back it. So I've 
purchased You've bought it, it since. It's it's got that Det Willer. The writing's good and the art's good. The art the art's beautiful and it really gets over what kind of game it is. See, often with these kind of things, you you either have one or the other, don't you? You, yes. you either have good good art or, or good writing, and it's very rare you get that kind of the mix of the both. Yes, and, I, it, and it doesn't fit, it it doesn't feel like a uh, a cash in or somebody hitching a wagon. It feels like a setting that should be made. You know, it it definitely deserves to get a lot of a lot of eyes on it. I think I've I've not heard of it, but I will definitely look at picking it up. It's got it's got an, quite an unusual name. It's Plain Plangia, the Star Shaman's Song is its full title. Because Plain is obviously the creation of the planes, and Pangia is the whole world, isn't it? Yes, the sort of uh, dinosaur type. Of, oh, and you could play you could play ankylosaurs in it, like half ankylosaurs and half velociraptors. That sounds like cool. <laughs> how, how cool is that? <laughs> Bear with me a minute. Sorry, wait a second. I'm just going to tell the kids to be quiet because they're being noisy. One sec. It wasn't even the kids. I don't know who it was unless you've got a... Getting the loft on has created a, a haunted sect of kids that are now invading the house. Is, is, the, is there um, a guy dressed all in black the size of the Undertaker? <laughs> you landing. him. He's, le- he's leading an old lady along who's floating me there with a half face. Yeah, so don't, don't forget, anything that we're not happy with, you can share the house anyway. And yeah. make me sound like make me sound like I've got like a really brown voice. <laughs> What's a brown voice when it's in town? You know when they go, you know, Cadbury's chocolate. I've That's never heard a Cadbury's chocolate advert when he's spoken like that. <laughs> it's probably just me. I just imagined it. It's it's like a kind of a it's like the um, the guy who would do like the trailers. It was a time of war. It was a and time chocolate. of heroes. <laughs> <laughs> and the other bit of evangelism is I, I have been reading a serious book on ghosts. And I mean very serious. And it's very good. And it's uh, called The First Ghosts, Most Ancient of Legacies by uh, an author called Irving Finkel. And he's a world re- world-renowned authority on cuneiform. And what he's done, he's done an ancient ghost hunt. So he's gone back into all the cuneiform from the Sumerians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And he's collected the first ghost stories, analysed them and drawn parallels between the sort of things that have given people fears over the years. And is the parallels? I think so, yeah. There's uh, definitely a a sense of... uh, Certain kinds of places that are haunted. There's still the idea, I think, that most ghosts are sort of seen of a night time. And, um, and quite a lot of ghosts seen doing really ordinary things, like walking in between two trees or floating above somebody's bed. You, you know. I'm not sure floating above someone's bed is, is ordinary unless you're like um, David but, Blaine. You know, <laughs> but, but you, you know, I mean, I, I live in quite a haunted area of Britain and we've got a place up the road and I'll never get the name right we've got Kyneton up the road which is an English civil war site and for years after the battle there was a big battle at this place ghosts were seen reenacting the fight every year sort of on Boxing Day and the king sent up I mean it's all 
in historic literature, the king sent up generals to have a look and go, what's all this about the battle being refought every couple of years? And the generals would come back and go, yep, happens, I saw it. They've seen people literally like fighting and then vanishing. Well, well, yeah, it, it was an organised army fighting the local farmers, so the farmers didn't get on very well. Um, well as you and, can and imagine, the, yeah. As you could imagine. And, and the one thing that, that really struck me is every year the fight moves a foot above the floor. So, you know, the battle would okay. be reenacted and all these people, but every year that, that the generals went back and witnessed it, the battle was rising in the air. That's and that's bizarre, what I'm saying. Like, like floating above my brother's bed. But the point is, a lot of... You could imagine that being the sort of thing that makes a ghost story and not just somebody walking about or walking up the stairs. But a lot of these original ghost stories are really quite innocuous. People doing very mundane daily things. I wonder why that is. I mean, there's the whole kind of stone tape theory, isn't there? The idea that there's some sort of property of the environment which records certain things and under the right conditions, these things can be viewed or played back. I mean, it was in... Um, do you ever remember the TV show Ghost Lab? Yes. Do you remember Very the good. one that he did in, in, in Tombstone? I think so. Where they said... It, Things tended to happen on stormy nights. People would report paranormal activity. So what they did was they they come up with the idea that they think it's due to the silver deposits, which they know still exist under Tombstone. And they reckon oh. it's the electricity of thunderstorms interacting with the silver and spreading the charge throughout the town. Mm. And that was somehow empowering these, these events to happen. So what they did is they found a night... They found a night where they knew there was going to be a thunderstorm and they set up recording devices in all the places that were meant to be the most haunted and there was a correlation between every time lightning struck and mm-hmm. every bit of evidence they found. Oh. So whenever there would be a strike of lightning because you can track when lightning strikes the ground through this particular website, they would hear voices, they would hear running, they would hear shouting, they would hear fighting. Then once oh, lightning. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm scared of lightning. <laughs> but, you, you, but then basically when that happened, things would happen in these haunted mm. places where there was nobody, where they, would, they were like empty saloons and things like that. Oh, right. And they, they uh, were drawn, uh, trying to draw a correlation between the two. That is, yeah, that makes sense. The, the other thing is another proposal that that's, I think in the paranormal community is sort of picking up a bit of traction is the idea that these are time slips. The fact that, you know, time and space are sort of wibbly wobbly I knew you were going to say that that. (laughs) wibbly wobbly tiny wimey that's the first time I've ever said it Uh, but but the idea that you know events in the past sort of smudge up against events now are just sort of seen across a, a divide and of course most people are doing really innocuous things like sitting in a chair rather than having battles in a field in Warwickshire so the chances mm. are that if if that was the case, you're going to catch some, you know, you're going to get a lot of ghosts sitting on the toilet or reading newspapers doing... It was funny how we really never get cave, cavemen ghosts though, isn't it? That's true. I mean, what? why not? Are we going to get into the whole his dark materials, dust and consciousness thing now? Or are we just going to say that eventually whatever brought, brought them into being runs out? Could be. Could be. That, I mean, that would make sense with the stone tape theory. I think, you know, you could imagine that something might only capture the essence of an event for so long and then it dissipates. Well, the whole point of the stone tape theory, isn't it, is that 
particularly charged events, things like fights, things like suicides, things like murders, make a bigger imprint upon the environment. Yes, that makes sense. I mean, I don't know how... We'll never know in our lifetime how true this is. But we can can theorise. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out. (laughs) One way or another. Those nights when I don't sleep, that's my quest. You know, once I've rescued all the revolutionaries from... um, Sorry, yeah. once I've rescued all the nobles from revolutionary France, that's what I devote my time to. Well, you know, I look forward to reading your thesis on both rescuing nobles from revolutionary France and the stone type theory. The, the weird thing is, is I wish we could talk about role playing a bit more at this point. One thing I would like to talk about, right, is Miskatonic repository. Because, I mean, we live in a golden age anyway of gaming. I mean, there's no arguing that this. In terms of the kind of products you can get and the, the kind of things people are putting out, this is the best of all times. But Miskatonic, Miskatonic Repository is something really special. And I think one of the, the best things about horror gaming at the moment is the people who are taking Cthulhu, normally set historically, and that's cool because I love historic games, but the modern-day Cthulhu sort of reinventing it and yeah, finding different that's a big ways thing of for scaring me. people. And I think that's... that's because I, I, it's one thing yeah, I tire really of hearing is, is you can't do Cthulhu in a modern setting. And I feel like just saying, have you ever watched Black Mirror? I mean, they've done how many series on how terrifying yes. the modern age can be, you know? And obviously with, with Viral, we proved mm-hmm. beyond the shadow of a doubt you could do it, but also keep control of your game. Yes, Delta Green as well. Delta Green, Delta Green. absolutely, yeah. You know, they, they've proven beyond the shadow of a doubt. If, if, if anything, I think the abundance of options available to agents and and um, investigators in Call of Cthulhu makes it more terrifying in some way yeah. because there's so many more ways to, to get at them. Yes, and ways they're familiar with. I think the one thing that I love about modern horror gaming, and particularly sort of the sort of stuff that Viral does and the Grindhouse stuff and um, Delta Green is the fact that you don't have to explain the world Mm -hmm. to the player, which makes it more scary because they're completely familiar with it. And, you know, and and you can play tricks. You can lull them into false senses of security in places that should be safe, in places that they understand. And then frighten them. Well, that's the thing. People, people, what it is, I think people think that the crutch of the of the modern day smartphone is something that would save them but in some ways that makes things worse you know it, yeah. even if you remove the kind of mythos from 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 the, like if you look at the way it is now bad things happen to people and that's without adding in the mythos as a possibility you know yes for example yeah. you know viruses can take over your computer they can they can corrupt things you can get bluetooth attacked on your phone you can get stalkers blocking the numbers any number of horrible things can happen to you now add the mythos into that and the idea of magic and all that kind of things god the, the world's your oyster and i, I think i think the yes. problem the problem being is Absolutely. And it's something that drives me nuts a bit is if you have a discussion with something with someone these days and you have a disagreement, the first thing they do is Google to see if they were right, which drives me which drives me up the wall. Yes. Now, many, many years ago, I got a virus on my computer and it was a root virus. You know, the ones that were sat below C or whatever. And 
Yeah. I, it prevented me from Googling antivirus programs. Just antivirus programs or Googling anything. It could allow me to Google lots of things, but it redirected loads of stuff. And it would mm-hmm. and whenever I search for antivirus, it would redirect me to a page talking about viruses. Oh, that's frightening. It's nasty, isn't it? When I tried to put it on a pen drive and put it in, it wouldn't install. I had wow. to format the, the whole hard drive to, to be rid of it. So so you take that level of, of, I mean, that's just general discomfort really, isn't it? That's just like, oh, that's a pain, but it's fixable. Then you add in the mythos. I mean, even the things like that that happened in viral, the whole point of, you know, someone's on the stream who really shouldn't be connected to the stream. Mm. You know, how are they doing it? They've got people watching the stream that they're not aware of watching the stream and probably would never be aware. And, and the, new, the new scenario inversion... We've taken things in a, in a kind of different way. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little kind of a teaser of 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 the of what's kind of helped the idea along is my wife bought a rotary phone. You know the old with a dial on the back. My kids oh, didn't yeah. know how to use it. Oh, I've got one. I've got one sitting next to me, and it's never been used. Is it an actual phone? I think so. Yeah, it's a ro- oh, yeah, it's a rotary phone. Yeah. So, so the idea is, it's something that's not even that old. They couldn't work out how you meant to dial a number on it. Yeah, my 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 kids have put their fingers in the holes and thought that's how you dial. <laughs> <laughs> and then wondered why did you have it like that and that nice buttons. <laughs> but but that's the thing. It's the idea that even if you take someone back while well, technology was twenty five years ago, they can't work it out. Mm. So if you could take that back a different degree with modern characters, what could you do? And that's all oh, I'll yeah. say about oh. that's all I'll say about inversion. Oh, that sounds good. I, li- I like that. Well, you get to play like test it. Um, where we're getting to the point now with that, where it's um, it's hot. Without explaining any more, we've got to do a number of sessions before we run the main sessions, and I can't explain why. Because those sessions are setting something up for the main sessions. That's really it's cool. It's like a prequely kind of thing built into how we're going to play test it. And I think Alex is running one of them tonight. Yeah. Ooh. So as we speak. No, he's it's eight o'clock his time, which is about three AM our time. <laughs> no, it's about one AM actually. He's five hours behind. Yeah. Although I'm amazed he's got a phone, to be honest. <laughs> yes. No, he does, he lives in a he lives in a in a, in a field. He, I'm in not field. yeah, he lives in the earth in the field with his family. I mean he's living the dream really. Yeah, do do they have fields in America? Uh, I did, I, did, I mean, I honestly don't know. Well, no, well, he lives it. He lives in Maine, right? Which I think is a bit more leafy than a lot, lots of places in America. And it's literally him and his him and his wife bought bought the land and built a house on it because they wanted to live life how they wanted to live it. And you know, kudos to him for doing that. Yes. And um, somehow he's got internet. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> the Beamed in via, you know, he said he was thinking of getting Skylink satellite, you know, the uh, the Elon Musk stuff. The the UFO satellite, the one the one that you see going overhead. Yeah, the they're like, train yeah, they're in a line, aren't they? Fairy lights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And everybody goes, oh, that's a UFO. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But yeah, um, he'd be running that the first one tonight, so I'm sure I'll get a session report tomorrow on that. And then we'll... Brilliant. I'm going to, once once we've he's done his bit, I'm, I'm going to start running... The main scenario, I'm thinking about five times I'll do it. Wow. Yeah. You know, I've never I've, I've never run anything more than once that I've written. 
I've never done it. I think it's when you're publishing it, you've got to though. Yeah, mine's mine's not. My, my stuff will never be good enough to publish. So. Well, I saw <laughs> two through. I'd say no more. <laughs> um, yeah, but to go back to what you're saying about the Miskatonic Repository and Johnstown, I, I don't know whether it's Seventh C open up for. Um, see, that seems to be the other one. Okay, I see him pushing Seventh C. Does that have its own community? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure. I've always been tempted by Seventh C, but I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you. But just keeping up with RuneQuest and Cthulhu and all the good stuff coming, that's expensive yeah. enough. And I, I didn't. And, and there's quite a line of Seventh C books, and you know, from what I understand of the bits I've seen in shops when I've looked through it, it looks really good. And I've thought to myself, I'm gonna have to avoid that because if I get yeah, one, I'm gonna have life. to get it all. Yeah. Yeah, but thing is, you got a lot in PDF, don't you? Yes. See, I'm I'm more of a book person. I do. PDFs a bit. I think. Thing is, since I had the hard drive, drive that drive wiped. I don't remember what I just mentioned about the virus. I lost everything. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like you were saying before about things from the past being unfamiliar. I don't know how to read a book anymore. I can't work out <laughs> how to open them. Do you flick the pages like it's an iPad? <laughs> I do. Well, with old eyes, I'm constantly trying to do the zoom Pinch thing zoom, with the two yeah. fingers. I, do you know what? I did that not that long ago. I was reading the book and, uh, as you know, I need glasses. And uh, I think I might be needing the next set, you know, to... And I, and I actually went yeah. to pinch zoom and swing on the page and caught myself. And I was like, what are you doing, you old man? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's... um. This, I mean, I, I totally agree with you with regards to Johnstown and Miskatonic. And I think the cream rises to the top. Yes, definitely. You know, stuff stuff gets good reviews. It gets, you know, as you know, Viral did, has done very well. At this at this this stage today, it's nearly fourteen hundred copies sold. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Which is which is one of the big, I believe, is one of the biggest selling ones on Miskatonic Repository. Yes, and, and particularly next to like the Korean ones, I think. Yes, and particularly with say the Johnstown as well. One thing I do love is uh, there's some good evangelism. It seems well organised at getting in front of you what is new and what is cool. Mm. So so I've I've collected and read most of the RuneQuest stuff. And yeah. Have you got Crim- the Crimson King yet? That's that's next on my list. I've got I've got uh, I've got a lot of uh, the other stuff Nick's written, so I've got glamour. And yeah. Yeah. The only issue I have with those books is they're expensive. I mean, you buy the PDF, so that's not a problem, but I think I've got the first Lunar one, a rough guide to glamour, and I got Black Spear. And I got the Crimson King. And I also got the one on sexuality in RuneQuest, Ooh. which is which is an interesting read. Yes. Um, but it, it's put me off buying the others because they're so expensive. They're like 60 quid for a hardback, some of them. Yeah, th- these books, these old-fashioned books. <laughs> <laughs> See, but, but just legs. You don't even need a hand to turn the pages, do you? You, you don't, you don't. You can just, if you've got an iPad, you can flick it with your nose to turn a page. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, and um, so both of them, I feel, I mean, RuneQuest, I'm, I'm fairly new to RuneQuest. You know, mm. over, the, over the past five or six years, I, I came on board and I've been reading it idly. And we're just starting the RuneQuest campaign. We're starting the uh, starter box set. All right, yeah. And... No, and I've collected and bought a lot of the historic RuneQuest stuff. 
And what I'm loving about the new RuneQuest, and this is Kerseum and Johnstown, is how modern it feels. I mean, the production values are just... Oh, sta- yeah, God. Staggering. The art is staggering. And sort of the ideas they're discussing seem, you know, modern. I mean, they do talk about, you know, sexuality, like you said. You know, the sort of things that, that are important nowadays that we might not have been that interested in back in the the, the 80s. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they've always been in RuneQuest as well. Yes. This is not a modern idea for uh, for, for RuneQuest. Vingen and Nandan and all that has, has always been in it. Yeah. So you, you could argue Greg Stafford was ahead of his time, but you could make that argument at any time, couldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, with, with Cthulhu, I think it does seem that there's a, a the leash on Cthulhu is not quite as tight. I think with 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 a Johnstown, you've got to, it's got to kind of match match the lore a bit. Yes. Whereas obviously for Cthulhu, we took we took an entity that was what, two paragraphs in the Malleus Monstrorum and created the whole thing out of it. And and but I mean obviously with RuneQuest, you can always do the whole like, well that's from an Orlandi perspective or that's from a Luna perspective, and you can you can kind of. Like the creation myths and like the Lightbringers, there's like seven different versions of it, based on where you come from. Yes. And uh, Andrew Andrew Logan Montgomery, uh, I follow him on Facebook. I reactivated my Facebook recently, actually. I deactivated it a number of years ago because I was just getting just smashed with adverts and people I didn't like. And so, but uh, people was uh, Keith and uh, Alex kept on saying, "You want to go back on?" Because the, there's the Miskatonic Repository Creator Circle. Oh, and it's an invite-only thing, and you know, obviously, you've had a best-selling book, so you'd be able to get on it. I was like, okay, so I reactivated it, cleared out nearly all my friends list, and just kept it as gaming people. I know the important people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I've even cleared my wife off. <laughs> <I'm> not happy. <laughs> oh dear. But um, I've reactivated in my Facebook. And I can't remember where I was going with this now. You're, 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 you're in the secret club now. That's what, what the, you're talking about. Yeah, the Miskatonic Repository Creator Circle. Yeah, well, that's it. it it's a, the Miskatonic Repository Creator Circle is actually a pretty cool place. Um, people post reviews and things like that in there. Um, but also people will show off bits of art they've got for the new scenarios or ask for ideas for things. And it's very kind of community-based. People are more than happy to come in with, why well, don't you try this or why don't you try that? Which I love because there's no competitiveness really. Not not that you know of. No, there's not all, really. No. <laughs> the, you, you haven't heard about the secret Miskatonic Repository Creators Club where you talk about the people Just, who've only got in at the first level. So, I mean, see, I'm in just the because one. you're paranoid, <laughs> but I'm, doesn't I'm, mean they're not after you. I, I'm in the I'm in the second level up. We we, we talk about people like you all the time. <laughs> Look at this noob. Do you know what? Like, you make me paranoid now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm finding a bit, a bit, a bit. Since I've cleared out my, my friends list on Facebook, I'm finding it a bit easier to, to navigate than Twitter. Twitter is like someone just threw a grenade at it at the moment. It's it's god awful. So that, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the whole Miskatonic repository in Johnstown. I think I think they're definitely good for the community. Um, 
chaos you must be making a decent amount of money off them as well. You have, you'd have to ask yourself that. I mean, Johnstown, especially given given that RuneQuest has always been something people have had to really fight for and find stuff for. You know, now there's stacks of adventures for it. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I'm loving. I love any system or any game where there's too much for me to buy. Because there's quite a lot of stuff. That, <laughs> well, there's quite a lot. There's a quite a lot of stuff that I've got where I've gone. Oh, that's really really cool. Oh, that's it. You didn't you didn't run with yeah. this idea. You didn't expand it because this is really really cool. There's quite a few. There's quite a few of my games on, on the shelves that are one or two books, three books, and it's nice to have a lot of choice. And I think that's the the, the great thing with Miskatonic as well. It's the choice the kind of stuff that you want to get and the kind of stuff that you want to play. Yeah, but- and there's a, there's a lot there. I mean, you know, not all of it makes print. You've got to sell 251 copies to get a book in print. But you can often be sure the stuff that does get to print is of good quality. And I think most of it's Nick Brooks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he does sell a lot of RuneQuest stuff, but he seems to be quite prolific. Does he do the you art know, as could- well? Does he do the art? No, is he, he, is he a no he's... No, no, he's he's uh, there's only one Dennis. Uh, the Catherine Catherine Durham is um, she's a, she, I'm not sure she's Turkish maybe, mm. but she does this gorgeous like dot art and it looks like I don't, I don't know whether it looks Persian. So I, I, don't, I don't really know. I'm not really an arty person as such. I love good art, but I wouldn't know where it came from. Mm. And um, they've got Catherine Durham. Doing art now, they've got Lowick Musi as well. His art's just incredible. But Catherine Dinham does a lot of the art for, for Nick's books, and it's just fantastic the art. And you know, I remember the dark days of of Troll Gods and Elder Elder Secrets of Glorantha, where it looks like kids are drawing it. And I look at it now, and I'm like, you know, finally RuneQuest getting the art it deserved all these years. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a confession here. I've got some Go Ru- I've got some RuneQuest bedspreads. <laughs> You know, I've got RuneQuest quilt covers. Well, I've got divorced twice, so, so I'm, I'm now I'm now, I'm now allowed to have Glorantha duvets. <laughs> okay, you know what question I'm going to ask? <laughs> Why? Why? Just just because I can. It, it it impresses a certain kind of person that, that might come back to life. <laughs> The minute they say, oh, Dragon Pass, you know you're in there, don't you? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Have you got them on your bed now? No. No, no, oh. no. I've got, no, I haven't. I've got, I've got a Call of Cthulhu bed sheets on at the moment. Oh, well, that's much better. <laughs> it's like deep ones <laughs> in Innsmouth, walking between trees. No. <laughs> Oh, honest to God. Do you know what? I'm not even going to doubt yet. I believe you. <laughs> oh, do you know what else I picked up recently? What's that? A foundry. Oh, I love it. Yeah, because I, I plan on running Abomination Vaults. Very good. Um, for Pathfinder, because I just need to get something out of my system. I used to run D&D for years. I just really feel like running something. And then there was that the, the Pathfinder, as we know, there was the Pathfinder um, Humble Bundle. And one of the things, if you got it at the highest level, which was 20 quid, 
you got the Abomination Vaults for Foundry, which is $60 on its own. And and its implementation is possibly the best virtual tabletop implementation I've ever seen. It, it is just beautiful. I think it is. It's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's intimidating me a bit at the moment. Yeah, right. There's a lot going on. Um, but I've got, I've got a new monitor and I'm running I've got a, a new 4K monitor. Um, a really good one. It's a gigabyte one. And it just looks beautiful. And and sounds beautiful as well if you've got the audio, you know, as, you, as you're walking through, you know, the, the, the bits at the beginning where you're heading up to the lighthouse in Atari. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I've not, I've not run it. I've just played with a virtual tabletop. And as you move the little people around, you can actually hear the audio being blocked by walls and things. And I'm thinking, this yeah. Is, this is beautiful. Yeah. And, and of course, the one thing about with Peso, Peso, Pizzo, I don't know. Um, Pizzo, I think it is. Pizzo. Um, the, the one thing, like a lot of top companies that are doing the really good virtual products, the, the entire thing is the book. Everything's searchable. You can double click onto certain rules. If it says this is where you get stunned, you can click and see what the stun status effect does to you. So it makes running oh, man, it. That sounds amazing. It makes running it a real dream. I've had some very good experiences with uh, their stuff and um, some of the stuff that Cubicle 7 do as well. Their Warhammer stuff is just... Oh, yeah. You can, you you can get just, the enemy, enemy Within, can't you? Enemy Within. I've got the um, uh, Rough Night 3 Feathers pack. Um, with oh, the lot- so, so take, you've bought it, have you? Yeah. I've got, I haven't got the Enemy Within, but I've got... I've got no foundry. Oh, foundry! Yeah, I'm a big fan. I've got foundry and I've got forge. Uh, the thing about what I liked about foundry was it's a one-off payment. Yes, you buy it. It's like fifty quid with with tax included, and that's it. You've got it now, and you can do what you want with it. And I see how they make the money through the the VTTs. They make the money with the VTTs, and there's also the storage. Yes, but I don't, how much storage do you actually get on foundry? I didn't see it written anywhere. Um, I think, well, I don't know because I bought Forge, which is hosting your foundry in the cloud. Oh, okay. And so you can just, everything gets thrown up to a cloud yeah. somewhere, a computer in France. Um, and you pay- It's not a cloud, it's someone else's PC. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, and uh, what, it's it's scalable depending on how much you want to use it. I, I, I spend, I think it's about ten pounds a month, and I right. can't, I can't see me running out of things. And it's a little bit more fiddly because you have to still use Foundry to install stuff, and then push it up yeah. to the Forge, and they don't tell you that. You sort of have to find out for yourself, and it's a little bit fiddly. It can be a little bit see, fiddly. The, the issue I've got at the moment is the Call of Cthulhu module for it is unofficial. And I would like to run Inversion using it because there's going to be sound effects and things like that. Roll20 looks really basic in comparison. It does. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's the thing I, I've, I've heard and seen little posts and hints that RuneQuest and Cthulhu are getting uh, foundry implementations. And they're, Good. They're being worked on. And... and uh, the one thing I've, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be, it'd be good to see what you think of Abomination Vaults because it is, I think, a scenario where you set out to scare people. It's horror. It's a, it's a proper fantasy yeah. horror game. Um, 
I haven't really had much experience of virtual tabletop stuff where you're trying to scare people. So it'd be interesting to see because there's a lot of tricks you can play as a GM with sound effects and sort yeah. of changing the light in and the entire thing that you, you can't really do with theatre of the mind, which is things just out of sight and not in sight. And, yeah, yeah. And sort of, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see how you get on with that. Well, I plan on running it on Wednesdays um, for a bit just to get it out of my system. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll leave it there for podcast zero um hopefully this will get a bit better over time when we get a bit more used to it because it's a bit weird for us at the moment as well would you agree i, I would agree I'm, I'm not used to talking to people anymore <laughs> it's, it's, people, people are horrible though <laughs> well i am but, uh, yeah but things will get better well i think what i'll do is i'll play i'll play Hughes music at the end <laughs>